the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, once again, we greet you for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We always look forward to our visits with you. Uh, Alan Dempsey is going to engineer our show here this weekend, and Andrew Herdliska produces it each weekend, and he has produced Robert Kelly from Portland, Oregon, uh, author of The Strong Man of God, Back to Basics. Robert, I'm very pleased you can join me. I hope things are well with you. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate you having me on your show. Well, we've got a number of topics here to talk about with your new book. Uh, in fact, about 16 of them. We'll see how we do. But the, <laughs> the very first one, Robert, is Jesus Christ, the second Adam and Lord. That's how you open. Tell us about that first shot here. Let's go. Well, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, of course, uh, is, came down from glory, the Son of God and um, took mortal form, added humanity to his existing divinity, and uh, uh, as the second Adam came and showed us how to uh, live before God and please him in uh, his perfect obedience, whereas in contrast, uh, Adam uh, failed the Lord in his disobedience. So Christ came and showed us uh, how to do it and uh, died on the cross for our sins to save us. And then you move to a question. What is a man? Indeed. Uh, it's a question that unfortunately is, is uh, created in these latter days and this 21st century confusion uh, as uh, uh, our society and our world pulls away from uh, a Judeo-Christian framework uh, of understanding how we're to function as human beings. And so now uh, these questions are, are coming up uh, through all of this confusion and redefinition that's taking place. So in this chapter, we seek to answer that question from a biblical worldview and uh, conclude, of course, that uh, man is a creature uh, created on purpose by God for his purposes. The strong man of God defined. I'm eager to hear your, your report on that. Well, uh, uh, it's it's a little bit unfair for me to draw this away contextually away from the chapter, but in a nutshell, uh, the strong man of God is defined as a man who lives to please God and do his will. And this was the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, it uh, is also displayed in various men throughout the Bible. Jesus Christ, the strong man of God, that's the fourth topic you get into. In that uh, uh, chapter, we talk about how uh, Jesus Christ displayed his strength in various uh, scenarios to include, of course, uh, his uh, march uh, faithfully and obediently to the cross at the will of the Father out of love for us. And uh, that march included uh, being uh, assaulted uh, mentally and emotionally by uh, men who were in opposition to him and by the devil and, of course, uh, all manner of uh, challenges that he faced trying to get Israel to understand who he was and, and what he was seeking to do on their behalf. And so uh, we look at this uh, amazing display of character and strength that comes through Jesus Christ in all that uh, uh, he endures even on the cross, and uh, showing us what a real strength from a biblical perspective looks like. A strong man of God in the image of Jesus Christ. Can you fill us in on that, Robert? A strong man of God in the, in the image of Jesus Christ is one who uh, follows the biblical instruction that we are to follow his example. 
Uh, and specifically, Romans 8.29 says that uh, 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 Paul writing that uh, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the Father's will. And so uh, all that is involved in being a strong man of God as Christ uh, uh, left us an example and gave us an example, uh, so we are to become through the power and agency of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's, it's not what we do in our own strength because we're naturally weak in sin, but it's what God does through us in the strength that he supplies uh, purposely forming and shaping us and molding us into the image of his Son, Jesus the Christ. Robert Kelly, our guest, four distinctive characteristics of a strong man of God. Uh, what are they, Robert? Uh, a strong man of God, again, as Jesus displays as an example, is one who accepts the roles that God assigns. Uh, the Lord had several roles uh, that he lived out before us. One of them is the Lamb of God, uh, who takes away the sins of the world, according to uh, John the Baptist, who looked at him and saw him coming his way. Uh, a strong man of God obeys God even unto death, again, as our Lord Jesus Christ displayed. Uh, a strong man of God uh, relies on God for everything, and this is one of the great foils of Satan for uh, us mortals in the flesh uh, taken up in sin. Pride comes in, and we want to handle it and do it our way and get in all kinds of trouble. But Jesus showed us that we're to rely on the Father as he did for everything. And then finally, a strong man of God uh, trusts God for vindication. Even from the cross, the Lord forgave his enemies, trusting that the Father would vindicate uh, him and uh, bring about a righteous conclusion on his behalf. And we're to do the same thing. The seven roles of a strong man of God you write about, and... uh... In this first section, it's about eternal roles. Yes, there, uh, we've identified uh, seven that are essential and crucial in the way that God works with those who aspire to be strong men of God in the image of Christ. And the eternal roles are to be sons of God, disciples of Christ, and servants of God and humanity, each other, in other words, forever. These are roles that begin here and now on earth when we're born again and become a follower of Christ, and they continue into eternity. And this is something that far too often we're not uh, taught, or at least it's not stressed enough in the churches because we focus on the other roles. And I'll just go ahead and, and, and uh, jump you on this one, Pat, and go to chapter 8 uh, and, and show that, of course, in the temporary roles is where we mostly live and dwell uh, in this present age. Uh, of men being husbands and fathers and uh, sons of our parents as temporary roles. These are important. These are vital roles in, the, in this present age, but they ended our death. The eternal roles, however, continue on forever. And those are the roles that God is shaping and forming uh, us in the image of Christ to live out uh, forever, uh, not to the exclusion of the temporary roles, because if we get the eternal roles right here and now, they influence and drive and, and buttress the roles that we have that are temporary. Tell me about the four responsibilities of a strong man, husband, father, etc., leading. I want you to talk about that. Well, we have uh, four roles in our husband-father uh, responsibility that we have before God, and they uh, are... Uh, to lead, to teach, to provide, and to protect. And uh, in leading, uh, God has uh, called forth that men should, uh, before him, lead our families in the course and direction that he lays out for us. And, of course, this is not in a dictatorial form. It is in the form of Moses, for example, going up to the mountain and receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord to come back down and bring it to the people. In the same way, uh, a godly husband, the aspiring strongman of God husband, goes before God daily uh, seeking direction for the family and uh, consulting with his wife, uh, hopefully a fellow believer, uh, equally yoked, and she uh, agreeing to the same, uh, they go in the direction that, that, that the Lord is leading as he has spoken through the husband. 
And uh, as it concerns teaching, it is a man's responsibility before God to teach his family. It's not just to send his wife and children to church. Uh, the teaching begins in the home as led by the father uh, and the husband in the family. And then as far as uh, providing, this is where most men live and, and believe that this is really their only important responsibility. But actually, it's equally as important as all the other three. A man is to provide for his family, and uh, uh, that is not only just uh, the uh, meat and potatoes, but uh, shelter, and uh, to provide the best that he can. Robert Kelly is our guest. we got more with Robert right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLA. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Dr. John Brooks. Families by Designs airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 950 WTLN. School has already started, but it's not too late to take advantage of half-price tuition. Only from AmazingRadioDeals.com on some of the best private Christian schools in Central Florida. Looking for great families and kids just like yours. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com right now. We've got your tuition solution. So if you're thinking about private Christian school in 2014 or 2015, now is the time. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com. See the schools, curriculums, locations, and so much more. It's half-price tuition. No games, no kidding. Get all the details at AmazingRadioDeals.com. AmazingRadioDeals.com. This just in, death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on, is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. walk into your local police station and ask them to lock you up voluntarily of course you wouldn't and yet spiritually many believers willingly hand over their freedom in christ for the bondage of religious rule keeping and legalism join us on the bible revealed a new program where teaching pastor phil Ayers works through the book of galatians in a series appropriately titled freedom join us sundays at noon Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Robert Kelly is the author of uh, The Strong Man of God. He joins us from Portland. Uh, Robert, here's the next topic right. the, the four responsibilities well, of a strong man, husband, father, part two. It's serving. I want you to talk about a serving well, husband. Once again, we greet you. Yes, uh, and I kind of. Uh, I went into that uh, in, in, in beginning to, to talk about uh, the, the four responsibilities sort of consecutively. Uh, leading is, is, is uh, by itself in the book, and then serving incorporates the uh, uh, responsibilities to teach and to provide. And then we left off talking about protecting, to serve his family through uh, protecting, and this is not only just being willing to step in front of a, a train for his family, but this uh, means uh, providing an environment that is uh, Christ-centered and wholesome in the home. How about the nature and character of the strong man of God? Can you fill us in on that? The the nature and character of the strong man of God uh, uh, has everything to do with uh, this business of being in the image of Christ. Uh, the nature of God has to do with his intrinsic uh, qualities. God is love. Well, if we're connected to God, his love ought to be flowing through us. The character of the strong man of God uh, refers to all of those qualities of God, again, that are part of his natural character and which Christ displayed, such as holiness and righteousness, but also those character traits that God even formed and shaped in Christ 
which includes, for example, obedience. And, uh, of course, the Son of God being perfect, what, what does he need to learn about obedience? But he learned obedience, as we write about in the book, through uh, what the, the writer of Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews 5.8, that he learned it through what he suffered. Uh, and this is clearly speaking of his perfect humanity, and we the same way. What can you tell us about the demeanor of the strong man of God? The strong man of God, in the image and likeness of Christ, carries himself in a certain way. Uh, and there's, for us, a balance. In summary, that uh, Christ uh, is the lion and the lamb, and we're to carry ourselves uh, with that same demeanor of being a lion, ready to roar in our authority and leadership, and especially on advocating uh, on behalf of the weak and the helpless, the orphaned and the widow, uh, and as a, as a lamb, carrying ourselves in the gentleness and the humility of Christ. And uh, this demeanor is to be kept in, in balance, though it is challenged, as we write about, in many ways. And we talk about how to be victorious in spite of that. Now, Robert, here comes a key part, becoming a strong man of God. How, how does that happen? And this, this is something that's uh, very intentional because... Far too often uh, in, in the, uh, the churches, what we do is bring men in, and then we kind of just put them into the church routines and, and forget about them. Uh, and so they never, ever develop in understanding uh, what God has designed them to be and to carry out all of the things we've been talking about so far. So they kind of sit in the pews weak. Uh, we want men to understand, as the Scripture teaches, that uh, they must be uh, attent- uh, actively pursuing uh, being Christ-like, which is what all of this boils down to, to, uh, to in all humility and all brokenness, invite the Lord to come into their weakness and make them strong in the image and likeness of Christ in all of the ways uh, that we've been talking. It is an active and purposeful decision. I want you to talk about uh, the great woman of God. You, you actually take that uh, in two parts. So uh, fill us in on the great woman of God, Robert. Uh, in, in short, the great woman of God is the, the counterpart of the strong man of God. Uh, as we see it pictured in the garden, when God uh, created Adam, he also brought forth from Adam a helper. And uh, she corresponds to him in every way, including uh, as the strong man of God aspires to please God and do his will, and that defines him, so it defines the great woman of God. And uh, her key uh, responsibility before God is to be submissive to the Lord, first and foremost, and then to submit to his program for her uh, as that wonderful counterpart to the strong man of God. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have any uh, uh, opportunities to uh, exercise uh, the gifts and talents and abilities that God gives her, but she does so understanding with great joy and great delight that uh, in submitting to God's program for her as a woman, that uh, this singular act of, of, of devotion and submission to Him propels her in His eyes to the highest heights of greatness, uh, because uh, this is the very reason that she was created to begin with. And she gets all of the same reward that uh, her counterpart gets in the end. You also have a interesting section, uh, a final word to pastors and churches. Uh, what are you telling them, Robert? Well, uh, as I've already alluded to, there's been a letdown uh, in our churches uh, over the, especially the last century, uh, in really giving instruction about what a man is and what a woman is uh, in accord with the Word of God, and there's been a lot of compromise that has taken place uh, in, in, in uh, carrying and following through with what God's teachings are from His Word about how we're to conduct ourselves in His house. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, frankly, the confusion that exists in the world exists in many churches about this. And so uh, we have uh, stood flat-footed as an Old Testament prophet in accord with the will of the Lord and cried out to our brother pastors and, and to, to the churches to come back to the Word of God, that our, our men are supposed to be not only leaders in the home, but leaders in 
the church and God's house, the pastors, the worship leaders, the ministry leaders. That means that our sisters don't serve. It means that we serve in accord with the order that God has established. And as long as we all operate in accord with the gifts uh, and the calling and the ministry that God has given us, of which there's no confusion in God, then everybody's fulfilled and happy uh, in serving in God's house. So we've got to come back to God's program. It's the only way that we can uh, restore men, families, and communities in a righteous way in the sight of God. Robert Kelly is the author of The Strong Man of God. What's happening to men in our culture, Robert, that is most distressing to you? Well, it's it's this uh, marginalizing of men, uh, this uh, making a, a caricature, a, a mockery of what uh, a man is uh, supposed to do in all of his roles and responsibilities. It's casting men to the side, redefining what they are. Men to try to make them more in the eyes of feminists like women, while at the same time the, uh, many of the aggressively uh, hostile secular feminists are trying to be more like men. And so there's this confusion that exists, there's, there's this outcasting of, of natural masculinity uh, that uh, is uh, hurting our families, hurting uh, our nation, and indeed hurting our world, because if you cast men aside, uh, you're casting aside God's program as he designed it, and you can't expect anything good to come out of that. Robert, what are some of the negative impacts on children uh, when men and fathers abandon their responsibilities? Well, I think we've, we've seen it in our society. I, I certainly, uh, with full disclosure, having been a, a teenage father uh, <clears throat> and abandoned my children briefly to my own selfish, uh, unsaved desires, and uh, the, the impact that you see is that there's a, a loss of opportunity to uh, imprint into their lives, to speak into their lives in a positive way, uh, to uh, guide and direct them. And so you wind up uh, in our society with so many children having children. We have uh, so much of the prison population that's filled with men who didn't have fathers in the home. The gang violence, all of the things that we're seeing uh, that's happening uh, to our kids in a negative way, in some way can be uh, tied to the, their abandonment by fathers who may be physically present uh, somewhere in the city, somewhere in the community, but they're not uh, intentionally and purposely active in those children's lives. Why do you say that many men are afraid of spiritual commitment? Well, I think it's the same re- reason that many men are, are afraid of commitment in general, because with commitment comes the follow-through, comes the responsibility to honor your word. Uh, this was so important to, to the Lord in the Bible that uh, he made it a, a sin not to keep your vow. So men hesitate to make the commitment because we know that uh, we'll be expected to actually follow through, and in, as it concerns the Lord, we're afraid of what he may actually lead us to do that we may not, uh, in the end, desire personally uh, to do, such as give our lives on the altar of sacrifice, uh, even in death, following Christ and preaching the gospel to the world. Robert, why do you believe, or why do you think that there is a trend towards feminization in our churches today? Uh, I, I think it's directly tied, uh, uh, and again, I can say this having been a pastor formerly and experiencing all the temptations that go with that, in building a church instead of fulfilling the Great Commission, I think that many pastors and churches are just uh, gotten caught up in the, the business of doing church. And uh, the business model, uh, as is in the world today, is somehow to placate the, the, the hue and cry of feminists to be more fair. And so uh, we see that uh, in in the, uh, the churches that uh, uh, things are being done to... Uh, appease uh, a feminist point of view. Many men are absent from the churches. Instead of going to go get them in, um, now um, uh, the uh, feminization of the church is taking place uh, because more and more uh, women are taking their places. And so this is not a positive development. It is negative because, again, we already said that in God's program, from Genesis to Revelation, our men are to be the leaders. So the churches need to go get the men, if they will, if they'll get back to the biblical program. But as long as they're chasing dollars and cents and filling seats and all that sort of thing, 
they're going to go uh, with a marketing strategy that appeases the audience they have. Robert, when strong men lead their families, what does that family look like? It looks like uh, the way the Lord Jesus leads the church. Uh, the Lord Jesus loved the church, as uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, and gave himself for her. And uh, so the, the strong man of God in leading his family in the image and likeness of Christ uh, leads them uh, in the righteous way of God to engage in activities that are wholesome and positive, uh, that's looking out for uh, the development under God's program of each individual member, the wife, the children, uh, everybody in a positive direction uh, that uh, is blessed uh, of the Lord. And uh, uh, this is the, uh, the kind of family that, uh, that, that God talks about and, 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 and throughout His Word uh, that is blessed of Him uh, when we are uh, obeying His Word, doing His will, the strong man of God leads his family in that way. Why do you say, Robert, that there is so much confusion about what a man is supposed to be today? What causes all this confusion? Well, bottom line is sin and rebellion. Uh, in the 1960s, along with everything else that uh, was rebelled against, we've had a continuing and escalating re- uh, rebellion against uh, the Judeo Christian uh, framework and uh, a biblical worldview of things. And so the more that we pull away from God, the more that we have confusion uh, right down to our bodies and what our bodies are for. And so uh, as long as this rebellion continues, so will the confusion. And, of course, the Scripture tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So the author ultimately is God's enemy and adversary, and ours who follow him, the devil. And it's just being stirred up and getting worse and worse. Robert Kelly has been our guest. The book is called The Strong Man of God. Back to basics, Robert. I'm so glad that we can visit, and uh, I've enjoyed our time together here. Well, I appreciate you having me on your show, Pat, and the best uh, to you and all that the Lord has you doing at this time. Uh, Check it out, www.thestrongmanofgod.org. And uh, Robert Kelly, the author of our book. We've got more after this. Uh, Just a reminder, it's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It is AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. True story. A Seattle man went to bed with nearly 300 grand in his bank account. By morning, the money had vanished because of some identity thief. Can you imagine? What if some thief got to your life savings? Look, no one can stop all identity theft, but here's what you do. Arm your bank and retirement accounts with LifeLock Ultimate Plus. Yep, LifeLock's best just got better. LifeLock Ultimate Plus is the most comprehensive identity theft protection available, helping protect your identity, your bank and retirement accounts, credit cards, even the equity in your home. How many other ID theft protection services do that? Zero. So why risk it? Get LifeLock Ultimate Plus and sleep easier knowing if a thief goes after your identity or life savings, LifeLock's on it. Visit LifeLock.com now and enter promo code AWARE or call and mention AWARE to save 10% on your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. 800-838-6010. 800-838-6010. Network does not cover all transactions. Hello, this is John Butler Book, and I want to cordially invite you to listen to my radio talk show every Sunday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. You won't have to bring a loaf of bread or a jar of mayonnaise with you because we're not going to hand you any bologna, just the meat of the word, the water of life, a page from the book, John Butler Book, right here on new 950 WTLN, every Sunday night from 8 to 9 p.m. I want to hear from you. Pick up the phone and call us. Exercise your First Amendment rights right away. So much has changed since GEICO started saving people money over 75 years ago. We weren't attached to our smartphones like today. Smartphones didn't exist. If you wanted to talk to someone, you just hollered out your back door. Hey, Darla, want to go steady? No chance? Okay, then. We had no privacy. But hey, with GEICO, we always had good car insurance. GEICO, saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. You're 
listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Kelly, our guest in that first half hour from Portland, talking about his book, The Strong Man of God. Peter Rosenberger lives in Nashville. Uh, He's with us, uh, president of Standing with Hope, and his new book is out with worthy publishers, Hope for the Caregiver, encouraging words to strengthen your spirit. Peter Rosenberger, radio host, 28-year caregiver. Uh, We're going to have a good half hour. Nice to talk to you, Peter. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Ken Tata, a husband of Johnny Erickson, Tata did the foreword. Uh, talk about caregiving, Peter, uh, what that means to you and how you got into it. Well, I got into it in a different way. A lot of people jump into it because a family member has trauma, or a child is born with a special need, your, your parents, your aging parent, have a, one of them has a stroke or something like that. In my case, I met a beautiful woman in college who had had a wreck a couple of years before I met her come back to school was doing okay. I mean, she had a limp and she had some scars and things, uh, but nobody, I didn't have any frame of reference of what it meant to be married to somebody who had that kind of trauma. I don't think any of us really knew what the future would hold. I just saw this beautiful girl, Pat, and and I just was convinced that I could love her and care for her for the rest of my life. Had no idea what this was going to mean to me. Uh, I I think that's probably a good thing (laughs) that we don't know sometimes, but, uh, uh, it's been quite a journey, and now it's mushroomed up to, at, as far as I can count, 78 surgeries. Both of her legs were amputated in the 90s. Uh, mm. The wreck was in the early 80s. Treatment by more than 60 doctors in 12 hospitals, seven insurance companies. I've changed policies on her six times without a gap in coverage, and $9 million in medical bills that I can count. Good night. Unbelievable. Uh, quite a journey. And yeah. I learned a lot about the healthcare system, as you can imagine, because uh, I've never, I've never lost an appeal with an insurance company. I, w- I had no form. I was the William Hung of healthcare. I mean, I had no formal training. I don't know if you remember that guy or not. But that's a funny joke, Pat. You should be laughing right now. That's a very funny joke. But, but I, um, I had, I, I thought benefits when early on in my. I, I, this is hand to God. I really believed this when I was working at my first corporate job. They came to me and talk about benefits. Uh, to all the new employees that are at an employee meeting, and I thought they meant longer lunches and better parking. I really did, and <laughs> and I've come to from that point to have never lost an appeal, never had a gap in coverage, even though she's been uninsurable since 1983. So I've learned a lot about America's healthcare system, but what I've come to understand, being married to someone who is in severe pain all the time, who's had severe disability issues and lots and lots and lots of surgeries, I've learned a lot about relationships, about faith about God's presence in our situations like this, uh, suffering, how that relates, and uh, these dynamics. And, you know, I don't wake up every day trying to figure out how to deal with America's healthcare system. I, I kind of learned that a while back, and I've, I've learned how to deal with insurance companies. But I wake up every day and spend the better part of my day dealing with the realities that 65 million people deal with as caregivers. How do you take care of yourself? How do you stay sane in the midst of this when the, when the hand grenades are going off and the landmines are blowing up? How do you keep calm? Where is sanity? Where is God? You know, and I've had those late night conversations with the ceiling fan, and, you know, and you're just wondering, how do you do this? What, what, what am I going to do? And, and that's what this book is about, and that's what – I'm on a mission here to reach my fellow caregivers, to, to grab them and let them know that they're not alone. They're so isolated, so I want to take community to them the best that I can. Forty different thoughts that you share in your book, Peter. The first one is called Shock and Awe. Well, that was my, my intro into this. I, you know, I'd been married for a couple of years to Gracie, and, and um, you know, I knew she was hurt, and I knew the reality. I met with her surgeons. We'd already had our first son by that point, but she was having uh, yet another surgery to try to save this right leg of hers that was so badly damaged in the wreck. And um, this was uh, she had this terrible surgery. It's a very painful, much worse than an amputation. It's a painful surgery to fuse it all in her ankle. And I'd been with her around the clock for a couple of days, and I was just a 25-year-old kid, Pat. I mean, I, you know, I'm dumber than a box of rocks. I didn't know anything. And I'd been staying around the clock with her. I was going on no sleep, on bad coffee. At 2 in the morning, uh, she asked me to go down to the nurse's station to get her something to drink. I came back, and she had gone into a grand mal seizure. And I don't know if you've ever watched anybody go into a grand mal seizure, but it, it is a horrific experience. And and I'm trying. I'm calling for the nurses. We're trying to hold her down so she doesn't hurt herself. She's got tubes and everything else going on. 
uh, and we're trying to keep her from getting hurt, and she's throwing up everywhere. I mean, it was a god-awful nightmare. And I'm sitting there afterwards. She kind of blacked out, and the nurses started to take care of her. And, and within 30 minutes, you, you've never known it would happen. But I was sitting there kind of just stunned. And uh, I went out, and I still had vomit on me and everything else. I know this is kind of gross, but, hey, this is the world I live in. And I went out there, and I saw her chart. That's back when we used to have paper charts. <laughs> and I saw her chart in the nurse's station. And I grabbed it, and I started reading. It was volume four of four at the time. And um, and this it was as big every bit as big as the Orlando phone book. Um, this one was and and it, before it went to electronic charts, it grew up to seven that size, and now it's been electronic for years. But I read through all these notes. I started reading through doctors' notes and all, all these things, and I realized this is not just a a fender bender she had where she had a broken leg and just going to have a a weather indicator for the rest of her life. This was devastation on a level that I didn't even understand. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the hallway at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, nurses, I just ignored. I didn't care. If, I wasn't supposed to have the chart, evidently, but I didn't care at that point. And I got, you know, still have vomit on me. Tears are, you know, filling my eyes and spilling on the page. And I realized this is a bad situation. And I didn't know what to do. And I felt overwhelmed, trapped. I, I didn't know how to function. And, and it took me into a dark place for a long time of, of trying to somehow find solid ground in this thing. And that's the guy that I wrote this book for, because I want to say, what does a roadmap look like? What does that look like for that young man? Because there are a lot of people out there who feel in that same way, who are watching helplessly as, they look, as someone they love is suffering, and they can't do anything about it. And they can't, they can't even slow it down. And, and they're, they're screaming on the inside, where is God in this thing? And what does sanity even look like? And that's that's what that shock and awe moment was for me, and that kind of defined how all this played out for me. And so that's that, that's the guy I wrote the book to. Next, <clears throat> the next topic, the Delta Doctrine. I was flying out of Atlanta one day on Delta, you know, Delta, duh, everything leads through Atlanta. And flight attendants came on and said, hey, look, if we hit turbulence and lose pressure, these little masks are going to fall down. Put yours on first before helping someone else. And I thought, gosh, that's it. You know, they don't tell you every time how to open those peanuts, which are surprisingly hard to open, by the way, Pat. <laughs> they don't tell you how to use that atomic suction device called a toilet. They figure, we'll figure that out. But along the way, the government, lawyers, marketing people, flight attendant trainers, all these people said we need to remind people every single time to put their mask on first because it's counterintuitive. When the crisis hits, when the moment of panic hits, it is counterintuitive to put our mask on first, and that's why they drill that in our head. So I call it the Delta Doctrine because that's what it's all about. But what does that look like? What does it look like to put your mask on first? And so that's what, that's what I put in the Delta Doctrine. It's three things, www. Everybody remember www. Wait, water, walk. Wait a minute. Just when the crisis hits, and this is not a medical crisis necessarily, okay? You need to understand that your two types of crisis caregivers deal with. One is triage when, there's a, when somebody's bleeding seizures, medical issue. That's triage. You're not dealing with the relationship issue at that point. The other types of crisis are relationship crisis that go on in a caregiving situation. When you deal with somebody in pain, when they're having a bad day, they're on narcotics, they have dementia, whatever it is, there's so many different scenarios. So the first thing is wait. Just wait a minute. Just, you know, bite your tongue and learn to like the taste of blood. You don't have to go to every fight that you get a ticket to, you know, and you can just wait. Just cool your jets. Drink some water. Drink to think. Hydrate your brain. It'll buy you time to fill your mouth up with something other than words. And then the last thing is walk. Take a five-minute walk and just clear your head. Get your blood pumping. Get, get some oxygen in your body, and it'll give you a chance to cool down. You know, if you do those three things, that's the first initial step of the Delta Doctrine. Just take a break, and, and you don't have to fix these things. And one of the things I try to tell my fellow caregivers is, Here's a test on whether or not you can fix this or not. Look down at your hands. If you don't see nail prints, this ain't yours to fix. <laughs> we, we got a Savior. You ain't that Savior. I ain't that Savior. So let's come down off the cross. We don't belong up there. We already have someone that did that for us. And let's focus on what we're called to do, which is to be stewards, to do the best we can. But we don't have to fix this. We can just care for them. Just like those nurses did when my wife had that seizure, they, we tried to keep her in the bed from falling out and from hurting herself, but we didn't try to fix her. We cared for her. We helped clean her up afterwards. We called the doctor to come and help, not try to run everything ourselves. Wow. 
Peter Rosenberger is our guest. <clears throat> the book, Hope for the Caregiver. Now, a different perspective, Peter. That's your third topic. Well, and that leads in right where we're just talking about. You have to gain a new way of looking at this thing. Sometimes when we, when we see somebody we love who's suffering, we will recklessly hurl ourselves into making it better for them. We feel bad. We, they're our wife. They're our kids. They're our parents. And we just we throw ourselves into doing this. But there's a point where you have to step back and realize, wait a minute. If I go down, what happens to them? If, if, if Pat, if my life, you've heard Gracie's story. I mean, this is a very, very traumatic set of circumstances. If I go down, how is her life going to be better? And I realize it's a two-for-one deal. If I go down, her life gets really messed up. And so I've got to think better about this thing. I've got to have a different perspective, realize I have a different calling. I'm caring for her better if I'm in a healthy place. I've got a new article out right now about uh, the seven warning signs for caregivers, and they're out there. But one of them is, you know, you get this they, – they don't take care of them. They don't go to their own doctor. They, they, they start gaining weight. We, 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 uh, we will become reactive and rage-filled and all kinds of things. And, and if we're not in a good, healthy, emotional, physical, financial, professional state, we're not helping our, our, the person we're caring for. I mean, it's like it's like a caregiver that doesn't have life insurance. How can you call yourself a caregiver if you don't have life insurance? You've done all this stuff, your blood, sweat, and treasure to take care of somebody, then you die and leave them destitute. You know, and that's that's the whole point. It's the new perspective of what healthy caregivers look like. Hmm. Now, Peter, I want you to talk about your decision to serve. Well, being a caregiver is a volunteer thing. You know, there are people. People say I, I was talking one time, and I said, "How many people have been, been a caregiver for more than you know, certain amount of years?" So one lady wrote that she said that's been her job. Well, that's her job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who volunteer to care for a loved one, a family member, or a close friend, or or even neighbors or whatever, and they're not getting paid for this. In Tennessee alone, I think we have eleven billion dollars worth of unpaid labor for our caregiver force. In Tennessee, I mean, think of those numbers. Mm. These are people that just care for a family member, and and you have made that decision to do this. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. In fact, the the thing I really try to work with fellow caregivers on understanding that word obligation. That word obligation is such a painful place. That is a petri dish for resentment. And I I can promise you this: if you do this because you feel obligated. It is only a matter of time before you become resentful and even hate the person that you're doing this for. And so you go back to your decision to serve. You are making a decision to do this, and you're not doing it as unto that person. You're doing it as unto Christ. And you, let me tell you something. You can't push a wheelchair with clenched fists. Try it sometime. You can't do it. Mm. You're, you're going to have a wreck, and you're going to you're going to hurt them, and you're probably yourself. And and. You know, I've had to change dressings on my wife, and I've had to do all these kind of stuff. And I, I would, I, I've done both ways, the wrong way and the right way, and mostly the wrong way, Pat. I've had ample time to make every kind of mistake you can make. And I found that it's helpful when I'm changing the dressing that I, if I'm, if I'd rather weep than gnash my teeth. And if I can stay in that place of understanding what Christ did for me, He made a decision to serve us, and He, He humbles himself in ways that we can't even understand. And as he carried that cross up to that hill, he did that for us. And I focus on that when I do that. If, if I can keep my mind on that, it's going to change the dynamic on how I serve my wife. Now, let, let me qualify that statement. I don't own that. That is my standard. That is not what I do every day. And I will be the first person to tell you. But that's where the path to sanity is. That's where the path to healthy wholeness and peace is and and you know the plane we put it on the autopilot and 95 percent of the time it's not on the course it's being buffeted around by the winds but the autopilot keeps it locked in on where it's supposed to go so it's always making adjustments that's the way it is for we caregivers we're always making adjustments because now we know where the path is and we keep our eyes focused on christ that's how we're going to do it peter rosenberger our guest we got another segment with peter here on the pat williams saturday evening power hour AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. 
Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. If you're the mother of a child with behavior problems, I'd like to talk to you. My name is Janet Lehman. I'm a behavioral therapist and a mom. I know what it's like when the child you love becomes a defiant, out-of-control child who disrespects you. That's why my husband, James, and I created the Total Transformation, the program that tens of thousands of moms are now using to turn around their child's behavior. If you've heard about the Total Transformation and wondered if it will work for you, now you can try it for free. I'm willing to give away a 1,000 programs today for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. I know the total transformation works because I used these techniques with my own son and with troubled kids for over 30 years. Let me prove to you that it works by giving you the program for free. Call now, 1-800-241-0676. 1-800-241-0676. That's 1-800-241-0676. I've been searching for ways to grow deeper in my faith and strengthen my daily walk, and I found it at Crosswalk.com. From Bible study tools to Christian living articles, devotionals, movie reviews, to marriage and finance articles, well, you get the idea. Crosswalk.com also has a great online community of Christians just like me. With everything just a click away, it's like having a trusted friend, teacher, and mentor right here at my desk every day. Crosswalk.com, the intersection of faith and life. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Peter Rosenberger is with us. We're uh, talking about his book, Hope for the Caregiver. Uh, How about uh, uh, the fifth topic, Peter, is actually the title of the book, Hope for the Caregiver. What are you teaching us here? Well, what what does hope look like? You know, hope is thrown about in our... Our world is just, you know, this pie in the sky or maybe some kind of, you know, Hallmark card greeting or whatever. Hope is, uh, Scripture says, hope is the evidence of things not seen. Now, there are things going on that I just cannot see, but I can believe in these things. I can anchor these things on them. And that's what this book is about, is is what does it look like to find solid ground? And I, I keep coming back to this, and it's not a complicated thing. And when I wrote this book, I didn't make it complicated. I, heck, Pat, I don't know a lot of big words anyway. And and I, so I try to make it as easy as I could for my fellow caregivers. I know the strain that they're on, so I want to just offer it as simple things of what real hope looks like. And real hope looks like you recognizing, number one, you're a steward, not an owner. If you start thinking that you own this thing, man, you will go into despair so fast because you have no power over this. The hope is that God is still God in all this. My, my dad's got this saying. He said, God's got this problem. He thinks he's God. And what happens is we we kind of get those roles mixed up and think that somehow that we have the power to change this. And when you realize that this is out of your hand and you can be at peace with that, that's when your hope starts anchoring in something greater than you. Uh, I, I've known too many people, Pat. I, a lady came up to church the other day, and her father had gotten sick, and she threw everything into taking care of her dad. And this went on and on and on because you think, well, we'll get through this, and then we'll get on with our life. Well, it dawns on people after a while Sure. And and she turned around, seven years had gone by, and her business had gone bankrupt. Mm. Now, how is she able to help her father if she's bankrupt? And and so this is what I'm trying my hardest to get my fellow caregivers to understand. We're, we're in a, we're, it's a paradigm shift. You gave a quote a long time ago, Pat, and I'm sure a lot of people have quoted you on this when you said when the Magic was not doing that great, and, and you said, we can't win at home, we can't win on the road, I just can't find where to play, <laughs> where else to play, though. And that's the thing. Sometimes we're in a no-win situation here with being a caregiver, so we're going to redefine the venue. And the venue is not me fixing my wife. That is not the venue. The venue is me learning to trust and be still with God no matter what's going on with her. That's the venue. It's my heart that's, that, that, that's changed into the venue. 
because I'm not doing any good to her if I stay in an agitated state trying to somehow fix that which cannot be fixed by mankind. <clears throat> then you teach us, don't believe everything you think. Well, Pat, my mind is a dangerous place to go into unaccompanied. <laughs> and we, we, our minds have a, a mind of themselves, of, of their own, because they will take us into – we will fret over things. And, and granted, I, I admit, some of the things that, that we're fretting over are fret-worthy. I mean, there are real problems. I think my wife is missing both legs. My wife is in pain every single day. She has known a conscious moment without severe pain in 30 years. These are real, real big problems. But what happens is we live out in the wreckage of our future, and we start, we start fantasizing about horrific realities that are coming, and we get ourselves worked up with froth about it. I, I can't go there. I can't. I have to train my mind to think something else. What does Scripture say about this? And I'm. I, you know, Pat, I didn't even ask your permission to get into all the stuff about Scripture. I just jumped into it. I hope that's all right. Absolutely. But, but Scripture says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on thee, not stayed on me. So if I, if I believe everything I think, I'm going to run right into, the, into a brick wall. You know, how many pilots have you heard who were relying on their own vision, their own point of sight, point of vision, and not instruments, when they got up in their small planes or whatever, and they get into a fog bank or they they, they got disoriented, because if you rely on your own senses in this thing, you're going to crash. That's why you got to have external, objective, greater than your own understanding of being able to navigate this to to orient yourself in space and time. Otherwise, you get so disoriented, and, and it makes sense to you in the craziness, but you could be heading right for disaster. So it's important to step back away from this and realize, okay. My opinion must always be – I must always be suspect of my own opinion. It doesn't mean you don't trust your judgment, don't trust your heart. It just when, – when you're making decisions, Scripture says there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So get the counselors. Get the outside opinion for that. Seek that regular – I recommend somebody go to counseling once a, once a month with a trained mental health professional just to be able to lay these things out. Man, I was raised by a pack of therapists myself. I mean, look, <laughs> it's, it's – that's – you, if you try to do this all by yourself, you are heading for disaster. Now, you're welcome to try it, but I've found it wise over the years to listen to people with scars because I can avoid their mistakes, the things that gave them those scars if I listen to them. How about redefining the word obligation? What's that mean? Well, we talked about that, and, and obligation, you know, we, we sometimes, in our society, we try to make that a little bit of a, a noble word. Well, but, you know, when you have an obligation to do this and this. That obligation word is part of a, a three three word hang up for caregivers. We live in fear, obligation, and guilt, and uh, we, we move around in a fog, and that leads to heartache, anger, and turmoil. Fog hat, I call it, because I like seventies rock and roll. So that obligation it really does become a a step towards resentment, it, and you will find if you are doing this out of obligation and not out of love, stewardship. And, and duty in the sense of, of that part of the word, you're going to find yourself getting very, very agitated, resentful, and even hating the person that you're caring for. Just, you know, praying that God would take them home and let them die. Mm. I mean, and I've seen this so many times. When we realize that we're stewards of this, that we don't own it, that Christ owns this situation, not us. And, you know, he said uh, he, he makes all things new. He doesn't make all new things. He makes all things new. That's his job, not mine. I'm not responsible for those kind of results. All I'm responsible to do is the best I can to reflect Christ in this to the best of my abilities. And when I make mistakes, not if, but when, then I ask for the courage and the grace to make those amends as quickly as possible and, and, and move on and pick up and keep going. And, uh, you know, my wife doesn't need me floundering around, you know, wringing my hands over guilt and, and, and being resentful to her and all that kind of stuff. She, she needs to know that I'm there as a source of encouragement and, and wisdom, even when she's having a bad day and can't respond to me in that way. And that way, if I'm a steward, Pat, I'm not demanding that she respond to me in a certain way. Because a lot of times a caregiver is in a relationship with somebody, particularly with Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, or they're on narcotics or whatever – my brother has a daughter with cerebral palsy that has a uh, uh, severe cognitive impairment. That that person cannot respond in a way that we would like to maintain the relationship. If you look to them as the source of your encouragement, they're going to fail you. That's why you look to Christ in that, and then you're just a steward of this thing, and you can give freely then because you've been loved so freely. 
Peter Rosenberger, author of Hope for the Caregiver, <clears throat> Progress, Not Perfection. That's the, that's the next topic. Well, for caregivers, we somehow think that we've got to uh, get it right every single time. Well, you're not going to. And so we look for progress. We're just, we're just taking a step in the right direction. You know, a step in the right direction is really two steps away from taking a step in the wrong direction. So you don't have to get this, you know, you, you play baseball. You don't have to knock it out of the park every time. You can just get on base. <laughs> we're, you know, base runs are good things. Uh, you know, and just put the bat on the ball, get up there, go to first base, take a deep breath, and then we'll worry about getting to second base. <laughs> but <laughs> if you sit there swing for the fence every single time, and then you you create this this unrealistic set of expectations, let's just let's just pace ourselves. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Progress, not perfection. If you try to be perfect in this thing, it, it, you will crash and burn. You will fail. Now, I'm not talking about per- perfection or Christian life, which we're called to be in Christ. We can do that. I'm just about the daily task of, of being a caregiver. Don't we sometimes treat ourselves without mercy and don't flog yourself with this for heaven's sakes. Take a deep breath, relax, and let's let's just get on base. Peter, it's been a wonderful visit, and uh, your book, I know, uh, is going to have a huge impact uh, oh, on caregivers. Yeah. And I'm I'm just glad that uh, we were able to. Get a little taste of it here today. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. What a treat for me to do this. And I, I just I'm, thank you. Thank you very much for reaching out to me. I really do appreciate it. Peter Rosenberger, <clears throat> president of Standing with Hope, author of Hope for the Caregiver. Uh, we're back for a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Pain from everyday activities in your forecast? Better pick up a can or two of Salon Paws Jet Spray. Salon Paws Jet Spray has two powerful pain fighters that you spray directly on the site of pain. It goes on clear dries fast, and relieves pain for hours. Look for the blue can with the blue cap. Salon Paws. Powerful relief when and where you need it. Available at Walmart. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We always are happy when you plug in here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on AM 950 WTLN. Uh, Our guest in the first half hour, Robert Kelly from Portland, uh, talking about his book, The Strong Man of God. And then Peter Rosenberger gave us some wonderful insights. Uh, Hope for the Caregiver. Uh, that's his latest book with uh, Worthy Publishers. Uh, check out my book that's out this fall and uh, has been out this summer. It's called Triumph. We've got 105 sports-based, faith-based stories that uh, you'll find very, very interesting. Uh, many of these uh, sports heroes are well-known. Some are not so well-known, but uh, the stories are, are really terrific. Uh, it's in bookstores now in the Christian Life section, and uh, sure hope you enjoy it. And uh, Amazon.com, always a wonderful way. Way to check books out. In the meantime, uh, have a great day tomorrow at church with your family and uh, a wonderful week ahead. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.